If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood, Maniac on the Loose. Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com, sign up for our newsletter, and I'll give you some free stuff. And now, sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. The Cave Tennessee has more caves than any other U.S. state, with near 10,000. Me and a buddy of mine, who I call Captain, are cave enthusiasts. We like to explore every cave we can find. We walk, crawl, and climb in the blackest of caverns just for the thrill. Not long ago, a cave guide I know clued me in on a secretive cave that nobody has been to in years. Back in the 1950s, this location was one of the standard cave tours in the region and was known for a tight, 50-foot tunnel people would have to crawl through called the Keyhole. The tunnel was so tight in spots that folks would need to wriggle their body around just to make it through. Nobody with a chest larger than 42 inches was allowed. At some point during the late 1950s, there was a ground tremor that partially collapsed the keyhole tunnel. Fortunately, nobody was in the tunnel at the time of the tremor. The cave touring company immediately closed the tour down as a safety hazard. Evidently, not many people have ever been back since. For all I know, Captain and I were the first ones to return. It was nearing nightfall when we finally found the opening. We strapped on our elbow pads, knee pads, helmets, and headlamps and journeyed deep into the long-lost cave. One of the best things about exploring this cave was that since it was once a touring cave, there were stairs, rails, and bridges that made exploring much more convenient and also gave the place a comfortable lived-in feel. Finally, we reached the keyhole. The keyhole was about five feet off the ground. Looking inside the keyhole was intimidating as it looked no wider than a sliver. Captain and I were both lean fellows, but even for us, I suspected we'd have a difficult time getting through. But it was worth a try. I hoisted myself up and stuck my head into the keyhole. There was no way I could just shove my way through. It was simply too tight. I was able to get my head and shoulders in, but then had to reach out with my arm to make myself slimmer and squirm my way forward. 
I had to continue to reach out to make myself as flat as possible. I found myself on my back, with the ceiling above me so close that it was pressing my nose down. But I trekked forward. At one point, I had to turn my head sideways to fit through. My knees were in pain because I had to keep my feet twisted to the side. If I pointed them up, they'd jam against the ceiling. I felt like I was in a collapsing coffin. Then something terrifying happened. I made a mistake by shifting my shoulder upward to try to catapult myself forward faster, but it got lodged against the ceiling. And with the way my body was twisted, I was wedged in there pretty tight and found myself completely stuck. I tried my damnedest to wiggle free, but I wasn't budging. I called back to Captain and told him of my issue. I could feel him shoving on my feet trying to dislodge me, but it was useless. I wasn't going anywhere. My shoulder was just jammed too tight against the ceiling. Now I was able to move my shoulder ever so slightly and began sliding it back and forth against the cold stone of the keyhole's jagged ceiling. Perhaps if I shaved off some layers of skin, it would free me up just enough to move forward a little more. I worked on the shoulder plan for a solid hour. I'm not sure if it was due to the skin removal or the lubricant of the blood, but I was able to scrape my shoulder forward and break free of the keyhole's constricting grasp. I popped my head into an opening and my headlamp revealed that just ahead, this little sliver of a tunnel widened to approximately three feet wide the remainder of the way. If we could both find a way to make it that far, we'd be home free. Once I got my first arm out of the vice-like grip of the keyhole, I was able to slide my shoulders through and I sprung forward into the three-foot section of the tunnel, which to me felt as big as a house. I gazed ahead and could see the end of the keyhole's tunnel. We probably only had about 30 feet to go. As I looked forward, I could hear something at the end of the tunnel. At first I thought it was water dripping, but then I realized it sounded more like tapping. A lot of tapping. It was strange. I turned back to mention to Captain that there was something unusual up ahead at the end of the tunnel. He had one arm out of the sliver of the keyhole, and I could see that he was working on pushing his head through. That's when the tremor hit. The entire cave shook for a solid five seconds. Dust and pebbles flowed from every nook and cranny within the keyhole. I could hear crunching, snapping, and then a loud crash. And then everything went silent. I let out a deep hacking cough, expelling some of the cave dust I had ingested during the tremor, and then forced my headlamp on Captain. You okay, Captain? He didn't answer, and I could see why. The remainder of the keyhole sliver that he was currently in collapsed the rest of the way, crushing Captain like a pancake. His arm was only being held on by a thread of flesh. There was nothing I could do, so I turned to begin my crawl out of the keyhole tunnel. Unfortunately, the back half of the tunnel had collapsed as well. Not completely, but it may as well have been. 
I'd say there was about six inches between the floor and the ceiling. I was stuck in a tiny section that I barely could fit in, and there was no going forward and no going back. Nobody knew we were there. Even if they did, they couldn't get me out. That's when I heard more of the weird tapping sound coming from the end of the tunnel. I turned my head sideways and pressed my cheek against the floor as I tried to look through the tunnel to see what it was. That's when I saw them. Dozens of them. They were some kind of huge insect, about the size of a piece of corn on the cob, with hard-shelled bodies and long, thick, spider-like legs. They had triangular heads and their eyes were bulbous and kept shifting around as they tried to focus on me. Their mandibles were formidable, and they kept gnashing them together, causing that tapping sound. They didn't like the light of my headlamp. They crept as close as they could to me, but stayed just out of the beam. My headlight was draining fast. I meant to change the batteries before we came into the cave, but forgot. I could see it dimming before me. The beam of light was the only thing keeping them away from me, but with each passing second, the light dimmed, the beam shortened, and the insect creatures took another step closer. It was five minutes later when my headlamp died, and they swarmed me. Oh, how I wish another tremor would collapse the cave the rest of the way, and end my suffering. My name is Helen. I'm the realtor that was tasked with selling the old Myers house. I've been in a bit of a rut lately with my sales. I think my boss saddled me with this house as some form of punishment. The Myers house became an internet sensation when the security footage of the last occupant went viral. The security camera footage in question focuses on the front of the Myers house. The footage is taken after sundown so it appears in grainy infrared night vision mode and has no audio. The video shows the home's last occupant, Thelma Myers, returning home from a date with a man. It appears to be a standard ending to an early relationship date. They chit-chat and then give each other a quick kiss before the man leaves and Thelma enters the house. 20 minutes later in the video, the front door opens and Thelma acts as though she heard someone knock. She sticks her head outside and looks around. She doesn't appear to see anyone and goes back inside. 10 minutes later, the front door opens again. Thelma opens the door fast and steps outside. She appears frustrated and peers around. The impression is that she is a victim of the classic ding-dong ditch game, but from the video we know that nobody was at the door to ring the bell or knock. She can be seen calling out and a lip reader might be able to make out the statement, Hello? Who's out here? 
She seems annoyed as she goes back inside. Thirty minutes later, the front door bursts open. Thelma is now in a robe as if she's gotten into her nightclothes for the evening. She runs outside and is clearly upset. She is screaming and looking around for someone. She is very distraught and goes back inside, slamming the door behind her. Fifteen minutes later, the front window's curtain near the front door is moved to the side and we could see Thelma looking out before moving backwards away from the window and the curtain falls back into place. Thirty minutes later, Thelma steps outside. She is holding a large knife. She appears lethargic. Her feet don't come off the ground as she shuffles forward as if in a daze. She moves about five steps and then stops and stares forward. She doesn't move again for 98 seconds. She then raises the knife to her neck and slits her throat. She stands motionless for several seconds as blood pours down the front of her robe. Eventually, she collapses in a heap. The video ends at that point. Questions arise as to what she was hearing that made her keep answering the door and why a woman in a seemingly normal state would suddenly become so sluggish and ultimately commit suicide. As it turns out, Thelma Myers did have a history of mental illness and had attempted suicide in the past. However, her co-worker said that she had turned a corner with her depression and that she seemed to be on a good path. The man she went out on the date with that night explained that that was their second date. He said the date went great. They had returned from a delightful dinner and a movie. They hadn't had any arguments. Everything was very positive. They were planning on going out again in just a few days. He says he never got any indication that she was in a suicidal state of mind. After her death, the house was left to her brother, who had no interest in it and wanted to sell it as soon as possible. The Myers house is an old structure that was built in the late 1800s, but it has been well maintained over the years. It's a nice two-story home with the full basement and attic and is located in a nice neighborhood. Normally, I don't think I would have had a problem selling such a home, but the stigmatism of the previous owner killing herself on camera for the world to see has made it difficult. However, it has not been due to a lack of interest. That's the other problem. My phone is constantly ringing with people wanting to make an appointment to visit the notorious Myers house. Of course, they have no interest in buying the home. They simply want to take a tour as if it's some kind of museum. Seriously, it got to the point that I felt like I should start charging admission. Instead, I decided to hold an open house. This would give all the non-serious looky-loos a chance to satisfy their curiosity and stroll around the infamous house and hopefully stop wasting my time. And maybe I'd get lucky and find a buyer. A few days before the open house, I decided to spend some time in the house cleaning it up so that it could be as presentable as possible. I was in the kitchen when I heard a knock on the front door. I hadn't made any appointments on this day, so wasn't expecting anyone. I walked to the front door and opened it. There was nobody there. I looked around and called out, but there was no sign of anybody, so I went back to cleaning. 
Ten minutes later, there was another knock. I moved swiftly and opened the door. Again, nobody. I was frustrated and walked outside. I looked around each side of the house, but there was no sign of anyone, so I went back to cleaning. Thirty minutes later, another knock. I stormed to the door and opened it. I was furious when I saw nobody there. I yelled out, Damn kids, don't you have anything better to do? You'd better not knock on this door again. I went back inside and finished up with the open house preparation. As I got my things ready to leave, I heard a whisper coming from the front of the house. I thought maybe it was coming from outside, so I looked out the window. I didn't see anybody, but I heard the voice again. It was whispering in my ear. Go to the attic. It was clear as day. I should have been terrified, but I wasn't. All I wanted to do was go to the attic, so I did. There was a door to the attic on the second floor, and a flight of ten stairs that took me up there. The attic was black. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. But I didn't care, as I was overwhelmed with a sensational feeling. All my fears and doubts were stripped away. I felt as though I had become one with this house. And then it all made sense. My wants and desires were clear, and nothing would stop me from satisfying them. Obviously, this was the case with Thelma Myers. She had gone into the attic and discovered what she truly wanted, which was to die, and she made it so. I sat down in the attic and simply enjoyed its presence. I didn't know how long I was there, nor did I care. I didn't want to leave the attic. I didn't want to leave the house. It had needs. I was still in the attic when I heard the front door open. We had an uninvited guest. I hurried down to the first floor only to find my boss, Otis, standing there with a disappointed look on his face. Where have you been? I shrugged. I've been here. Why haven't you been answering your phone? I've been trying to get a hold of you for days. What is going on? Again, I shrugged. I've been getting ready for the open house. Otis spoke sternly to me. The open house is today. That's why I'm here. Because I couldn't get a hold of you and somebody has to be here for the open house, which opens in an hour. Well, I'm here now, so you can leave. He looked furious. No, Helen. You can leave. You are no longer dependable. I'm letting you go. He opened the front door and motioned for me to leave, so I did. He left as well, mumbling something about needing to get something to eat before the open house started. I walked across the street, sat down on a bench, and watched the house. Otis made it back in about 20 minutes, and was quickly met by a couple who seemed eager to look at the house. Looky-loos. As he took the couple inside, I sat on the bench and stewed. What made him think he could possibly know enough to show the house? He doesn't know what its needs are. He's not the right person. I am. As I stood up and started to make my way back to the house, the couple who went into the house with Otis fled from the house in fright. Something was wrong. I hurried across the street, opened the front door, and stepped into the house. 
I was surprised to see two young girls standing in the hallway. They were wearing nightgowns and had large black circles painted around their eyes. They seemed freaked out when they saw me. One of them yelled, Shit! Run! They both barreled out the door past me. Then it all made sense. Somehow these two girls snuck into the house dressed as ghosts and intended to scare people. Apparently it worked well enough on the couple who entered the house with Otis. That's when I spotted Otis lying in the middle of the hallway groaning and holding his head. My assumption was the girls gave him a fright as well, causing him to stumble and injure himself. I rushed to his side to see if he was alright. Otis? Are you okay? He was rubbing his head when he looked up at me and said, Helen? What are you doing here? I noticed a stack of spec sheets he had put on a table that listed various information about the house. Pathetic. He knew nothing. This was my listing, not his, and I told him as such. He let out a sigh. Helen, I fired you this morning. You don't work for me anymore. He didn't understand, and he never would. So I picked up an antique iron that was being used as a doorstop and bashed his head in with it. I barked at him as I drug his dead body into a back room. Do you know anything about this house other than what's on these spec sheets? Have you even walked through it? Have you been in the attic? I have, and now I know. I know what I want. This house. I am to take care of it. I'm to give it exactly what it wants. I straightened out my shirt, took in a deep breath, and collected myself. I had a busy day ahead of me. There were many people coming, and I needed to show them the attic. I'm a businesswoman and I was taking a red-eye flight across country for work. I guess my flight was an extremely odd time because the airport was as dead as it gets. I arrived at the airport early so I decided to chill out in the premium lounge until boarding began. I was the only one in the lounge and rested in a comfortable chair for a little while and listened to some music on my headphones. After a short bit, I had to get up and use the restroom. After I was finished and stepped out of the restroom, I heard a loud bump coming from a closet near the restroom entrance. The outside of the closet was clearly marked storage. After another loud thud, I heard a rhythmic scratching sound followed by the loud cry of a woman. I wasn't sure what was going on in that storage room, but wanted to check in case the woman was in some kind of trouble. I carefully walked to the room and slowly, quietly opened the door. I was shocked by what I saw. A man and woman were having sex in the storage closet. They were so into it that they didn't even notice me standing there. 
As I stepped back with my hand over my mouth, I bumped into a tall man who I didn't even know was behind me. The tall man did not seem to notice me. He was off in his own little world as he stared coolly at the couple having sex. I guessed him to be some kind of voyeuristic pervert. I hurried out of the lounge and was happy to see that boarding for my flight had begun. After giving the attendant my ticket, I began my journey down the long walkway to the plane. As I walked, I casually gazed about and noticed the tall man from the lounge walking behind me. He was expressionless and seemed to be in a bit of a daze. I was hoping this guy wasn't sitting next to me. As I got to the airplane, the flight attendant gave me a quick greeting and then stared at the strange tall man behind me for a moment before saying, Hello, Captain. Captain? I turned around and looked more closely at the tall man. I didn't even realize he was in a pilot's uniform. He didn't acknowledge the flight attendant. He just sluggishly entered the cockpit and sat down. As I watched him start to fidget with some of the buttons in the cockpit, I noticed a familiar-looking woman, also dressed as a pilot. She smiled and said hello to the flight attendant, and that's when it dawned on me. That was the woman I had just seen having sex in the storage closet. I watched as she sat down in the cockpit next to the pilot. This was the co-pilot. She was all smiles and spoke in a very friendly tone. Hi, sweetheart. She then gave the pilot a quick kiss. They were a couple. She could tell that something was bothering him and asked him what was wrong. That's when the cockpit door closed. After what I just witnessed, I was not comfortable with the pilot situation, but it was a short flight and I had to get to my destination. Since I didn't have much in the way of options, I just hoped for the best. We had taken off without any issues and were in flight for approximately 30 minutes when I, along with every other person on the plane, could hear the tall pilot shouting within the cockpit. The co-pilot then let out a fear-filled scream and I heard a gunshot. Before anyone on the plane had a chance to properly freak out, the tall pilot stepped out of the cockpit. The front of his shirt was spattered with blood. In the cockpit behind him, I could see the dead body of the co-pilot strewn out over the controls of the plane. The captain stood lethargically and stared out at nothing. A gun in his hand dangled loosely by his side. He then took in a deep breath and very quickly placed the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. His brain splattered on the wall behind him, and all I could think was, I sure hope one of the other passengers knows how to fly a plane. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you soon. Very soon.
Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. Thank you so much.